from St. John's Gospel, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, friends. So you all thought I was going to preach on John 3.16, didn't you? That'd be the easy one. We're not going to talk about that today. Instead, we are, in fact, going to tackle the topic which makes most Episcopalians squirm, and that is the question of being born again. Can I get an amen? amen. So you guys aren't so bad about that. You know, uh, what does this mean to be born again? And it's a huge question, and it's actually a lot more confusing and maybe even simpler than you might guess. Let me give you an illustration and then a case study in Nicodemus to make my point. So, for example, let me ask you a question. How many of you belong to a club? It could be a, could be a golf club. It can be a, a, di- a diner club. It can be a bridge club. It can be whatever. Whatever you like. Whatever you like. A bowling club, a motorcycle club, whatever it is. How many of you belong to something that you enjoy? Anybody? Of course. Yeah. A lot of people do. We belong to things we enjoy, and the reason we join them is because at some point in your life, you realized that something was missing. At some point in your life, you realized, you know, I really like to play golf, and I, I want to be around people that golf too, and so therefore I'm going to join a golf club, or I wanna, I, I'm missing a place I can go to eat dinner with my friends. I'm going to join a club over on the beach somewhere or over here, on the, whatever it is, man. At some point, hear this, at some point you join a club or a group or whatever to fill a need in your heart which you recognize is there, to try to fill a void. The reason I'm bringing that to you today is because the point I want you to see here, and we're going to see it really clearly with, with Nicodemus in one second, that the human heart, when it recognizes a void, seeks to fill it, right? Nicodemus shows us this, this thing. We're going to look at Nicodemus and his recognition of a, of a place in his heart that needs to be filled, Jesus' question of him, and then the solution. So Nicodemus is our case study today. You might not know much about old Nick, but you will after today. Nicodemus, his name, uh, and it's important to know people's names in Scripture, right? Saul, right, who comes Paul later. Saul's name, Saulos, means great one. Humble guy that he was. Jesus' name, Yeshua, means God saves. Nicodemus, this man we're going to talk about today, his name means, it's a cool name, victorious amongst his peers. The point I want you to see here is Nicodemus, this guy who we don't know much about, except that his name means victorious. He is a leader of the Jews, John says. He is a Pharisee, which means he's a very devout, very capable guy. He's a man of wealth, power, influence, and admiration. Everybody loves Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the kind of guy that if you had a boy, you'd want to raise him to be like. Here's your example. He had gravitas. Nicodemus was the kind of person that everybody admired. Nicodemus is the kind of guy that had the world by the tail that everybody wanted to be like. And yet, Nicodemus knows that something's missing. He longs for something that he wants but he doesn't have. And maybe he doesn't even know what it is, but I'll show you that in a minute. And so Nicodemus, this man who's got everything that you could possibly want in this world, the admiration of his peers, intellect, power, prestige, money, he goes to Jesus at night, get to that in a minute, 
And Jesus tells Nicodemus, Jesus, rabbi, teacher, which is a sort of a sign of, of submission. He says, you, you are, no one can do the things and say the things you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, here's the zinger. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what has this got to do with a hole in your heart and a need? Two things. First, what does it mean? What does it mean to be born again? And secondly, are you born again? So what does it mean to be born again? And secondly, are you? Big questions. So being born again, according to Jesus, being born again is the criterion for being a part of the Jesus Club, right? Nicodemus, unless you're born again, bro, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean exactly? Well, part of the problem here, in fact, a large part of the problem here, is that Jesus doesn't actually explain what he means. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again before you can enter the kingdom of God. Before you become a Christian, you must be born again. And of course, Nicodemus, being the Pharisee and the literalist that he is, says, well, how can that happen? Can a man enter his mother's womb again and be born a second time? It's an obvious question. Jesus says you must be born again and doesn't explain what that means. And Nicodemus says, well, dude, how can that be? How can that happen? See, Episcopalians, we hear born again, and we think of uh, like that scene from the Blues Brothers, right, where they're in the chapel and John Belushi is converted. And we think of, uh, you know, snake handlers and deliverance and Pentecostals beating drums. There are churches, you and I know, that say unless you manifest some some spirit, some, some ability, some, some prophecy. Unless you do that, then you're not saved because you ain't born again. Well, guess what? In that context, born again becomes a, a term of division. And the human heart always wants that because once I can say you're born again and you're not, that means I'm better than you are, you see. That's not what it means. In fact, we don't really even know what it means, frankly. Because notice something, Jesus never actually tells us what that is. He says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. And then mic drop, boom. What does that mean? He doesn't tell him. That's the point, you see. We don't know, we, listen, listen closely to this. We don't know, according to Jesus, at this point, what it means to be born again. But we do know what it doesn't mean. We don't know what it means yet to be born again, but we do know what it isn't. And it isn't what is depicted by Nicodemus. Nicodemus is not born again. Otherwise, why tell him he has to be? Nicodemus is not born again, and that is the key to the text. And the key to that whole thing is a very small little nugget, which you probably missed, but it's a whopper. Let me show it to you in verse 2. Nicodemus, you must be born again, which means by implication, he's not born again. Stay with me. And John says that when Nicodemus goes to Jesus trying to find this solution, trying to find this hole in his heart, knowing that something is missing that he can't solve, John says that Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night. There's the clue. Why does Nicodemus go to Jesus by night? Well, he goes to Jesus because he says, Lord, Rabbi, nobody can do the things you do unless you, you're sent by God. So Nicodemus sees in Jesus something he doesn't have. Nicodemus sees in Jesus the potential to solve the angst in his heart, that he's got everything the world could give you, and he's still not happy. And he may not know exactly what Jesus can do, but he knows that he can do something. And he goes to him at night. Why? 
because he's afraid. On the one hand, Nicodemus knows that Jesus brings healing. He's seen it done. He's heard the stories. His friends have told him, this preacher from Galilee, you should see the things he can do and the things that he says. My goodness, this man, there's something about him. Nicodemus knows that this man, Jesus, has something to offer, but he's afraid. Why? Because he knows that his, his prestige and his power and his reputation hinges on his position. If he goes to Jesus and he's caught, you see, it'll ruin him. I want you to see the tension. On the one hand, Nicodemus has a need, but he's fearful. He's afraid that if he goes to Jesus and he's caught, he will lose it all. You know, here's the thing. I, I think the best way I've looked at this idea of being born again that I want to show you happens to Nicodemus, and I'll get to this in a second. The best definition I've ever heard of this is from a guy named Tim Keller. You've heard of him before, right? Tim Keller says that being born again is when everything clicks. I love that. Being born again, and if you've never been through it, that means nothing. And if you have been through it, you know exactly what I mean. Tim Keller says being born again is when everything clicks. It's when Jesus moves from being a concept to a, being a curiosity like Nicodemus, a guy who maybe can help me, but I'm not really sure. Being born again is when it clicks. Let me give you an example. I was uh, 24 years old. You know this. I went from undergrad at Penn State to graduate school at North Carolina State University to get a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology. You guys know this. I went from Penn State where I had a huge social network, you know, football games and frat parties and a huge friend base to graduate school where I was the youngest and not the smartest anymore. <laughs> and I also didn't have any friends. Right? You got to meet all new people, right? I was for the first, first time in my life alone. And at that point, the Lord at that point, the Lord put in my path a priest by the name of Father John Wall. John Wall came alongside me. He wasn't a great preacher, but he was a great man. And he took me, he took me and he began to show me how Scripture works. And I decided to go to church for the first time in my life, frankly. And I began to kick the tires, and, and I was tentative. I knew something was there. I, I had a feeling that this church, this Jesus, could maybe help me, but I was afraid. I was afraid for lots of reasons. I'd have to get up in the morning. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> but I'm also a skeptical left-brain engineer type. You know that. I, I am, and I continue to be, I'll be honest, skeptical of religious leaders, which sounds so crazy to say this as I'm preaching to you. But I, by nature, am skeptical of religious leaders. I'm skeptical of manipulation. I'm skeptical of people like, I don't know, Joel Olstein, right? For example... I was like Nicodemus, man. At one point, I was afraid. I was afraid of being fooled. I was afraid of being smoked. I was afraid of being a goody-two-shoes. I was afraid of being manipulated by religious sentiment. And then, one day, I was sitting in room 630 in Poe Hall. Poe Hall was the building in which the psychology department was, was uh, housed. I was sitting in room 630 in Poe Hall. I was doing some work. Nothing to do with religion. I wasn't praying or any of that. I was just doing some work. And I'll never forget this. I, I was sitting at a big, long table in a lecture hall, in a, in a, in a um, uh, lecture room. I look up, and there's a, a clock on the wall, and I knew. I just knew at that moment that I'd become a Christian. 
it clicked. I didn't have a great big whiz-bang experience. I didn't hear voices. I didn't see flashing lights. I didn't have, you know, the John Belushi experience in the church that he went when he was converted and the Blues Brothers. No, man. I just, it clicked for me. I knew at that moment that I had been convinced of the reality of who Jesus was and that he could help me. I didn't know how yet, and I'm still figuring that out, but I knew it. No whiz-bang, no speaking in tongues. You know, I've said this to you before, and this is worth repeating. If you've heard me say it before, forgive me. But there are really only kind of two ways you come to faith in Jesus in the big picture. Most people think of being born again as a great big cosmic blow-up explosion, right? Do you think that's true? Most people think of the conversion experience as kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus where he's riding along and he gets knocked off his horse and he's blinded and he hears voices and he sees lights and he says, Mike, you know, who are you? That's a road to Damascus experience. But there's another road, which is actually mine and probably a lot of yours. This is the road to Emmaus. And on the road to Emmaus, there's two men walking along on the road to go to Emmaus. And a man comes with them and is speaking to them. And they're talking, and they're having a good conversation, and their, their hearts are burning. They're like, man, this guy really has something. He's answering all these questions, and I'm drawn to him, and he's, he's magnetic, and he's, he's beginning to say things that make sense to me. And they sit down with him, and they break bread with this man, and they recognize him that he's Jesus, and he disappears. And they say to each other, were not our hearts burning as he spoke? In other words, they were converted and they didn't know it until after the fact. There was a road to Damascus experience, boom, right? Lights and color, and maybe you've been, maybe you've seen that, maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you had a drinking problem or an alcohol problem, or your marriage has fallen apart, or some catastrophe in your life which brought it all to the fore, and Jesus showed you who he was. That might be your story. Maybe your story is more like mine, where <laughs> the Lord had been working on you all along, and then suddenly you realize it. Oh, wow, I've been changed. I've been, I've been actually been, I think, born again. The question, though, is what fear keeps you from that? What fear keeps that Jesus experience from going from your head to your heart? Maybe, maybe it's the fear of not, having, maybe, of not wanting to admit that you're not perfect after all and that you can't save yourself. That's it for a lot of people. Maybe you're fearful, like I was, of being manipulated, of being wrong, of being fooled. Maybe you're like Nicodemus, who's afraid of losing standing and influence and, and power and prestige if people find out that you're a Christian. And guess what? You will. What fear keeps you from that aha moment, that click? Because the truth of the matter is, when everything clicks, when everything clicks, friends, it is a gift from God. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. But you do have to be open to it. Jesus warns us repeatedly of hardness of heart, a refusal, a wall. Hardness of heart, friends, is fatal. So here's my question for you, and I'm going to look at Nicodemus briefly. Are you born again? Are you born again? Have you had the aha moment? Back to Nicodemus, you know, go back to the gospel. You're Nicodemus, you must be born again, and that's it. He just goes away. There's no more explanation. There's no Bible study. Jesus doesn't sit down with Nicodemus and explain it all to him. He says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then we, we come across a scene in John chapter 7 where Jesus has been arrested. 
And, the, and they, people will recognize this Jesus guy is causing a lot of problems. He's saying things that upset people. He's saying things that claim to be God. And the Jews are furious. They're like, what are we going to do with this guy? And they bring him, and all the Jewish leaders get together, and they begin to say, what are we going to do? Are we going to kill him? Are we going to bring him in? Are we going to try him? And in the midst of all this yelling and carrying on and threats, one of the temple rulers risks his life, his career, and he stands up and says, this man of great power and influence and prestige and gravitas, says, gentlemen, make quiet down. Gentlemen, gentlemen, our law does not say, does not our law say that we should not judge a person without hearing what they have to say first? They replied, hmm, maybe are you one of those Galileans also? That man's name is Nicodemus. And, Nicodemus, and John says that Nicodemus, who came by night to Jesus and who was one of them, stood up in his defense and says, gentlemen, the same people he's afraid to lose prestige with, gentlemen, we have to def- we have to, does, a, does a law allow for us to do this? The point I want you to see here is somewhere between John chapter 3 and John chapter 7, Nicodemus is born again. And then fast forward to John chapter 19 when things really get dicey. Jesus is executed, crucified, and he's dead. Joseph of Arimathea gives his tomb for Jesus to be put in. And another man shows up, a man of wealth and power and influence and prestige. He donates a lot of money to embalm Jesus' body. And we find out that man's name is Nicodemus. A man who goes from being afraid and coming at night to a man who is now willing to stand up and be fearless because Nicodemus, somewhere in there, had been born again. You know, I said last week that Lent can be a time of real joy and real spiritual growth because we are challenged to come face to face with our fears and our need and our desire for something better. You want it and so do I. The human heart longs. St. Augustine, we've heard of him before, famous third century saint, Guy partied like a rock star, right? He realizes that in, in his life he's going along and he finally has the aha moment. He's sitting in his back garden and he hears a child say the words, take and read, take and read. And he says, take and read what? And he opens up scripture and bam! He has the click, the aha moment. And Augustine says later on in his, in his conversion, I love this, I love this. Oh Lord, all our hearts are restless until they rest and thee. Friends, Lent is a chance for us to recognize that our hearts are restless. Lent is a chance for us to come clean and admit our brokenness, admit our inability to be at peace without Jesus at the center. And Lent is a chance for us to come to him once again and be born again. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.